the way you know that things are boiling over is your sleep is being impacted, you're unable to focus, you can't get out of bed, your thoughts are spiraling or extremely catastrophic or they're looping, you're having difficulty connecting with loved ones. Those are some of the symptoms. That's Yael Melamed, an MBA-turned psychotherapist. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. We live in a world of overwhelming options, and whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or just someone who wants to make the most out of your time and money, committing to just one thing can feel impossible. That's called FOMO, and it's short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers how they make personal and professional decisions in a world of overwhelming choice. In our continuing discussion of how to survive and maybe even thrive in the age of coronavirus, we're going to be talking about mental health on this episode. At this very moment, we are all dealing with a lot of fear and uncertainty and, of course, stress. For some of us, this may feel new. In fact, if you're a younger American listener and you were just a kid back in 2001 during the 9-11 attacks or you weren't yet in the workforce during the 2008 financial crisis, you may not have experienced anything like this before. On the other hand, this is my fifth crisis since I graduated from college. And while it's very different, I feel like there are some commonalities. And for some of you listening around the world who have faced political challenges or economic challenges in your own countries, you know what I'm talking about. And I have to be honest, although this is no fun, I also know that each time we're challenged, we have the chance to grow and come out better on the other side, both as individuals, but also as a society. So I've been trying to focus my thoughts on that rather than on the sense of despair that it's so easy to feel right now. Today, my guest is Yael Melamed, who is a San Francisco-based psychotherapist, but she's also got an amazing backstory. She's a graduate of Harvard Business School, and while she was a student there, she was diagnosed with cancer. And once she recovered, she decided to actually leave the business world and become a psychotherapist, which is what she wanted to do the whole time. And so basically, she took the crisis as an opportunity to pursue the path she truly wanted in life. In fact, on her website, right up front, she writes that crisis in Chinese consists of the characters for emergency and opportunity opportunity. We're going to talk about this dual nature of crisis later in the show. But first, as Yael and I were sitting in self-isolation on opposite coasts, I started out our interview by asking her what she was hearing from her patients right now and what their feelings are telling us about how the crisis is affecting people across society. There are so many themes emerging. And in a certain way, it just feels like one big paradox that's coming together to be integrated, meaning like people are so isolated especially people who are in kind of social distancing alone and don't have anyone in the house with them. So on one hand, they're super, super isolated and restricted. And on the other hand, so much is opening up. People are doing Zoom happy hours and synagogue services, and people are reaching out and checking on them. And so in, ironically, they're not seeing anyone physically, but feeling more connected than ever. I'm noticing that you know people are terrified about the finances, right? I mean people who are kind of on the lower scale of income suddenly don't have jobs and don't have the savings to survive. Are they going to pay their rent? Are they going to be able to pay their mortgage? And But even extremely wealthy people have just lost a really significant amount of income that's creating as much stress and anxiety for them as it is for people on the opposite side of the spectrum. And so what that's doing is actually um, uniting people 
and also normalizing this experience. And I think it's mitigating shame. People who are poor often have a lot of shame about that. Um, But actually now everyone is having financial problems or issues, almost everyone at least. Um, And I find that that is creating a lot of relief to all be in it together. People who've had issues in isolation are now having them together. And that is actually making the issues feel a little bit less threatening. But at the same time, one of the things that comes with the collective is that fear can spread. And obviously, the fear here is existential. You're dealing with something you can't see or touch. So how do you deal with that fear? So I don't think it's that useful to have fear. And of course, it's totally natural to have it. Um, it, because that just kind of lowers your energy system, probably lowers your immune system, creates stress and all of that. And I think the best, to me, this is like a prisoner's dilemma in a certain way. If people choose a self-interested path, the outcome won't be optimal. And it's kind of, to me, there's a a migration from the individual to the collective. And this is a time where we're just really forced to think about a we. And so I think the way to handle it is to just think to yourself, you know, we're all in this together. What happens to the part is actually going to happen to the whole. And what can I do? How can I best handle this? What can I do to maintain my responsibility to myself, to my family, if I have one, and to society? What can I do to serve? And then at the same time, to really also hold all of the good things that are coming out of this, the groundedness, the togetherness, and um, the collective. So people are living this situation in very different ways. You've got people, for example, in New York City living in tiny apartments with a lot of solitude. They're on their own. And then you have people living with their kids, their partner. Maybe they've got extended family. They got the cat. They got Fido. And each one of those situations has its own challenges. So as you think about that, how can we adjust our lives in order to live in these different types of situations? Yeah, there are very different situations, pros and cons in both. What I recommend for everyone is humor. I have seen some of the best material ever since this has happened. And that's a, as a Jewish um, grandchild of four Holocaust survivors, we know that humor is the way to get through things. Um, another thing is it's important to structure your day and think about how you're going to be spending the time. Otherwise, it can just feel like you went into like the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And you don't want to emerge feeling like you don't have any kind of differentiation between this day and that day. And so I'm really recommending to people that they structure their time. And the other thing is to actually make sure you're doing things that are self-care. So if you're in a house with a ton of people, make sure you get some time alone. Alternate um, you know, with a, part, a partner if you have kids at home alone. Take a walk at least for 15 minutes and really make sure you do something where you get to just ground, hear your own thoughts, um, and especially connect with nature. And for the people who live alone, maybe they're in an apartment in a city and you know, seven o'clock rolls around, they're still in their pajamas. What do they do? So some of my patients who, yeah, exactly, who live alone, I've had to, I've actually worked with them. I'm finding my work is really changing. It's becoming very practical, sharing information about small business grants and unemployment if necessary. And I've had to actually create schedules with some people just to create some structure for their day. I've recommended taking up a fun project like, oh, I've always wanted to learn Italian. Now is a good time to do that. And also really reaching out and getting fellowship. I actually run a process group and we've met online and 
We're now doing a WhatsApp group as well. And I'm recommending for people to really find strength in connection. And I'm hearing from a lot of people who are isolated at home alone that they're feeling more connected than ever, ironically, um, because people are around. People aren't necessarily too busy. They're, they're invited to more things. There's more sense of community. And so that's been really positive. So for them, it's to be as connected as possible. And then for the people who are in an overcrowded house, it's maybe to spend as much time with yourself as possible. One of the things that's interesting about this crisis is I've, I've been talking to people about the role of FOMO because FOMO is why we have people buying all the toilet paper they can afford. And it's why people are uh, feeling uh, resistant to socially isolate. But at the same time, because the, the amount of things we could potentially do is so much uh, more limited in terms of leaving our homes, we are given more space in which to figure out what we actually might want to do. And so I think that that is very interesting for us to step back. And I heard a funny study recently that people would rather be shocked by electrical shock than spend 15 minutes with their thoughts. And so <laughs> we're being, okay, I know, right? We're being forced to do that. And for, for those of us who maybe haven't done that in a while, it's very, it's very helpful. I want to talk about, um, for people who are feeling overwhelmed, what uh, tips or tricks you, you can give them on a daily basis to just kind of calm down and, and get away from those feelings of anxiety? So uh, meditation or guided visualization, checking the news at very discreet moments, like not sitting there checking the news all day long. Again, you want to know what's going on, but you don't want to catch be infected by fear, reaching out to people, getting support. Some people are calling this a mental health crisis. And I just want to stop you right there for a second, because for people that already see mental health professionals as part of their ordinary life, they may see the warning signs more quickly. But if you don't work with somebody and you've never been to a therapist and you haven't had issues in the past, how do you know that something has changed and that you need to go and seek professional help from somebody that can help you get through this time? The way you know that things are boiling over is your sleep is being impacted, you're unable to focus, you can't get out of bed, your thoughts are spiraling or extremely catastrophic or they're looping, you're having difficulty connecting with loved ones. Those are some of the symptoms. And now I want to pivot because we focused on obviously the negative aspects of stress, some of the things we're all going to be dealing with in the coming months and maybe longer. But it doesn't all have to be bad. And in fact, I've read two books in the last couple of months that, that I guess I'm glad I read them now because they've really shaped my thinking. One is by Martin Seligman. It's called Flourish. The other is by Sean Acord. It's called The Happiness Advantage. And these books talk about what is really interesting to me, the concept of post-traumatic growth. Because oftentimes when we think about something bad happen, we think, okay, well, Either you go back to normal after you recover or you have this, this lingering sort of post-effect, post-traumatic stress. But in fact, there's a way to prepare yourself and to change the way you look at the world where you can actually come out better. You can be ahead of the game. You can be happier and more fulfilled. And that's called post-traumatic growth. And when I lived through the financial crisis in 2008, working at AIG, it was a really hard time. But I actually think I came out on the other side a much happier, more fulfilled person so thinking about the positive aspects of when we face a crisis and how we can be resilient is important. So I'd love to hear what we can do to prepare ourselves to actually come out of this on the other side better and happier and more fulfilled. Yeah. So 
I bet you before the 2008 crisis, you didn't actually know that you were going to go kind of into a dark place and then emerge so much better, right? So there's something about learning how to be in the unknown and just being very present and trusting it. There's nothing else you can do. This is happening to you. This is happening to absolutely everyone. So try to just be present and trust it. And what you're saying is absolutely true. Difficulty creates resilience if you choose to go in that direction. And you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm the grandchild of four Holocaust survivors. And all I keep thinking is, thank God I'm allowed to go on a walk. Thank God my daughter can splash in mud puddles. And thank God we have food. And so to me, this doesn't seem so bad in a certain way um, because of my reference point. So focusing, first of all, on gratitude, there's actually still a whole lot to be grateful for. I recommend that people do gratitudes themselves or with their children every morning and every night. And, you know, Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meeting, and he talked about logotherapy. And he showed that if you can take suffering and make meaning from it, the healing and the evolution will happen. And so just ask yourself, how am I growing? I'm hurting. How am I hurting? Yes. Let's say hello to that. Let's acknowledge that. That's true. And how am I growing? I want to dig into that a bit because this gratitude... I'm having trouble finding the gratitude right now. I feel like it's just, there's a lot of negativity around me. So what is your advice is, for example, let's take a worst case scenario. You have a family member who's really sick. You lost your job. I mean, really bad things. Like you're just, you're not feeling a lot of, even though maybe there are still good things in your life, you just don't feel the gratitude. How can you identify those things? That's such a personal journey, actually. So what I may identify about this, you know, hypothetical person that you're describing, they may not yet be ready to identify. But I do. I would challenge everyone, even if you have lost your job, are you still eating food every day? That is actually something to be grateful. Are you breathing clean air? That is something to be grateful for. Are you separated from your family or are you with them? Because that is something to be grateful for. If you're elderly and sick and alone, is there someone who's calling you? Is there someone who's dropping groceries? for you because that is something to be grateful for. And you know, something I've also been thinking about is that this is really a time of forgiveness. If the government has waived student loan interests and eventually probably going to happen for things like mortgages, if the government can forgive debt, we can forgive. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Each other. So, yeah, if, I understand that if, if you're coming from a good place, 
I can see where you could get to this because you sort of, you know what good looks like. But if you're coming from a situation that's already really bad and this just throws you even more into complications and life just looks really hard, how do you deal with that? I, I agree with you completely. You know, if you have a certain level of circumstances, it's a lot easier to feel that way. I've thought about women who or men who are in homes where there's domestic violence and there's nowhere to go, children too. That's an awful situation. And I actually think that we have to accept that perhaps there is no gratitude there because there are people where this is really bad and really dark. I believe that on the collective, we actually have a real opportunity to head in a better direction as a human species with the brain and the heart way more integrated. But on the individual level, there will be a lot of suffering, a lot of deaths, a lot of loss, and that can be extremely painful. And so we just have to kind of the yin and the yang have to hold both. So yeah, from your own perspective, I'm curious, what, what, what has changed for you that maybe was surprising since all this began? I would say quite a few things, actually. Um, one that I've really been noticing is my relationship with technology. We were just talking about gratitude and every single one of us who has any kind of technology should be grateful for it. It's the way that we're staying connected. Imagine if this would have happened, you know, 20 years ago, even it would have been a really different story in terms of isolation. So I'm a person who has a paper calendar still. I often poo-poo on technology. And I am so grateful for technology. And so just changing my relationship with it and really appreciating it has been a big change. It's the reason that I'm able to stay connected to people and communities. It's the reason that I'm able to continue doing my work. And so that's something that I feel grateful for. And that's actually a big change for me. Other things have been, I've gotten a lot more creative with my daughter. I have a two and a half year old. And she's not in preschool anymore. And I've had to get a lot more creative with her and also been challenging myself to get a lot more present with her um, for longer stretches of time. And, and that has also really, she's driven me a little bit crazy. And it's also brought us a lot closer together because we've had to build forts and draw faces on paper bags and do all kinds of creative crafts in the house that we normally don't do because we just go to the park or go to the zoo or something like that, go for a play date. And so that's been a really fun um, source of creativity. I've also noticed in myself just forgiveness. I have noticed that people who I was really upset at, it just all seems so trivial right now. And so those have been some of the really positive changes. And even I keep mentioning my grandparents, but they're just with me all the time. And whenever I prepare a meal, I just feel so grateful for the fact that I can do that. And so I'm actually noticing feeling a lot better. And I'm seeing this in a lot of my patients, people who've been extremely depressed, who I've been working with for years, actually seem less depressed than I've ever seen them. And I think that that's just an amazing byproduct of this crisis that's happening. You talk about the fact that technology is really on our side at this point. It allows us to connect and work and do things that we couldn't have done 20, 30 years ago. But at the same time, I just looked at my stats on screen time and I'm up, I'm like triple what I was two weeks ago. So how do we deal with that? I think that remains to be seen. Honestly, I've started to wonder if we're going to like evolve new parts in our eyes to deal with it because now kids are using technology 
way more than they ever were. So I can share that, you know, normally I see people face to face. I've done a little bit of work, executive coaching digitally, but for the most part, my work is face to face. And now I'm staring at a screen for eight or sometimes nine hours a day. And I can really feel the way that that drains me. And particularly with my daughter, who I've been very vigilant about not doing screen time with, except for, you know, FaceTiming relatives. She said, mommy, I want to watch synagogue. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> that's, you know, <laughs> so yeah, because of course I want her to be connected. I want her to do enrichment. Her music classes are going online. Her preschool might end up doing something online. And so everything that I've been working really hard to avoid with her, I'm now having to adjust and change. And I think it's a kind of a new problem that's evolving and developing. And we'll just have to figure that out. For now, she thinks that the whole world is on vacation. Even the man who makes toilet paper is on vacation. And that's why we have to be thoughtful and conserve. And that's why all of this is going on. Speaking of kids, Obviously, your daughter is quite young, so you're able to create an environment for her where you're controlling the variables. But if you have older kids, kids that maybe were supposed to take the SAT or apply to college, and now all of these things are up in the air, it's got to be really disorienting. And think about it. These kids, have they weren't around, obviously, for 2001, September 11th. They weren't around for 2008. They were really little. And so this is their first time at the rodeo living through a crisis. And this is really hard for everybody, especially for kids. So how can you talk to your kids about what's going on? How can you provide them with information, but at the same time, make them feel comfortable? So I think we have to be really honest and also really reassuring. Obviously, we can't pretend. We have to be honest about the fact that, you know, this is an uncertain time. We don't know what's going to happen. But then we also have to be really reassuring. You know what? we're taking care of this. We're doing everything we can to stay safe. No matter what happens, we will, we will be okay, you know, and having a reassuring attitude where they still feel like their parents are the parents and, you know, insulate being honest yet insulating them from whatever panics um, we might be feeling and trying to create as much joy and normalcy as, as is possible And again, using that creativity that is so much part of the human potential to make lemonade out of these lemons. And I think that approach also as as business leaders and and running businesses also, it's very valid because I've had conversations with friends of mine who work at very well-managed companies. And every day the management team sends out an email to the entire company with the state of the company, what's happening, who's doing what. And I have other companies that that I am exposed to where... There's very little going on and it seems like everybody's just overwhelmed. And so having a reassuring but honest tone, providing people with information is the key to success. And you can see it now with governments. Governments are all over the map. And when citizens don't know what they're supposed to do, they basically fall to the lowest common denominator. So whether you're a parent, uh, a business leader, or or a civic leader, you really need to make the effort to give people certainty and specific instructions. Yeah, this is the show about helping people to choose what they actually want and then giving them the courage to miss out on the rest. So when it comes to Corona or just in your general life, what is your advice for doing exactly that? Well, you know, society and structures are rapidly changing. We have no idea how this is going to turn out. I mean, I don't think this is going to happen, but at its worst case, 
cash and real estate could have no value. And just even touching into that possibility, I hope frees people to ask yourself, you know, if there were no money, what would I be doing? How would I spend my time asking yourself in this crisis, what can I do to help? What can I do to contribute? Maybe that also helps people understand more about what their gift is to contribute in the world or just having the time to pursue little pet projects. I remember reading Steve Jobs' commencement speech and he talks about how the computer grew out of a random calligraphy class that he took just for fun. So if people have extra time and just follow their interest and their passion, who knows what will grow out of it. But my biggest hope is that all the social pressure is kind of dissolving. No one's on fabulous vacations. No one's posting about this or that. And I've heard a lot of people say that that's freeing. They don't feel bad for being where they are in this moment. And from that place, a lot of creativity can come. All right. Yael Melamed, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Patrick. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now it's time for the FOMO moment of the show. And today I want to talk about something that's been on my mind a lot lately. And that is the very strange and difficult experience of launching a book in the middle of a pandemic. So my book comes out on May 5th. And obviously people are rightfully focused elsewhere. They're not necessarily thinking about Patrick's book. And I get that. Everybody's got priorities in terms of their health and safety right now. And just making sure that we take care of each other and ourselves as we go through this difficult period. At the same time, I still need to do my job, which is to try to get people excited about checking out this book. And I'm excited about it because I also think that this book is very relevant to our current moment in time. That said, the traditional playbook for marketing a book is completely thrown out the window. So traditional playbook for marketing a book is basically, well, you get it on a bunch of the websites like Amazon, you get it into bookstores, and then when the book comes out, you do interviews, television, podcasts, media, press, you name it. Then you have a big book party. You do a bunch of speaking events, get people excited about it that way, sell books to people at these events. And that's how you launch a book. Obviously, given what's going on right now, the traditional playbook is not on the table. No book parties. Nobody's going to show up to a book party and you can't have one anyway. So all that will become virtual. There are still media outlets, but they're very focused on other things. And Corona obviously is the number one news story of the day. And it's interesting because as a podcast host, I get lots of pitches from people who have books coming out. And I've noticed everybody's book, no matter what it's about, suddenly you hear about the COVID angle, which is very understandable, but that's really the only way to get people focused right now. 
There's also, of course, the reality that there are no speaking events. And in fact, who knows when that's going to come back. So there's all these challenges. And of course, you have to remember what I talked about at the beginning of the show, what Yael has on her website, which is that the Chinese character for crisis means both emergency and opportunity. And so the opportunity here is to think about how one can still get people interested and tell a story in this very challenging time when many of us are focused on other things. And so that's been what I've been spending my time on. I've been doing a lot of virtual talks. I've been interviewing on a lot of podcasts. And I'm just trying to think about how all of this relates. Because as I think back to the dawn of FOMO and when I invented the word, it was really in the aftermath of the 2000 economic crisis and of the 9-11 attacks, which I witnessed as a resident of New York City. And those two experiences are really what caused me to want to do everything and be everywhere all the time. Those were the things that were at the basis of my FOMO. And so I think that we will see, once things get back to normal, those feelings again. And so I'm just talking about that and also helping people to make good decisions. That's really what the book is about. So I'm hoping those things will break through and they can be helpful to people. And uh, that's all you can do. And so obviously, uh, I would be overjoyed if you would consider supporting me by pre-ordering the book at Amazon or on my website and in other online booksellers. And once the bookstores reopen, obviously, you can find it there too. And in the meantime, I've been thinking a lot about what Yael said on today's show. And I'm lucky that I've been healthy so far as have been my friends and family. And so in the grand scheme of things, uh, this too shall pass. And this is not a big deal. And so thinking about that, focusing on that has been really helpful. I hope you two are doing well, and I look forward to seeing you on next week's show. FOMO. And that's the end of another episode. If you have an idea, a story, or a question, you can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, and at www.patrickmcginnis.com, where you can also take the official FOMO Sapiens diagnostic and find out if you're a FOMO Sapiens. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it at Spotify and at iTunes. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com.